This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. The role you're going to remember whenever you're alone. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, I'm Leo. I'm Lauren. And I'm Trevor, and we're the Boo Crew. Welcome to our 100th episode. Woo! We are joined by... By one of the stars of one of the best horror films in years in a new classic, Hereditary, Alex Wolf. Hang out with us as he takes you behind the scenes of his incredible work on Ari Aster's masterpiece, how he filmed that classroom sequence, how he achieved his intense performance throughout the film, and running errands with Millie Shapiro in character. Hear the spooky goings-on during the filming of My Friend Dahmer, the magic of Jumanji, and all about the amazing new movie Alex produced, wrote and starred in. Also, his directorial debut, The Cat in the Moon, available on digital now. He's such a charming guy so funny and so talented he even couldn't help himself and had a seat at the piano in the studio over there a few times which you are also about to hear at the end of the episode but first hey wait did you hear that clucking uh oh hey everybody this is alex wolf when i'm not hanging out with king payman i'm listening to the boo crew I just don't want to put any more stress on my family. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is an award-winning actor, musician, singer, and composer. He had his televised debut on Nickelodeon's wildly successful Naked Brothers Band, which aired for three seasons from 2007 to 2009, earning countless accolades, spent time breaking records and making hit records, the soundtrack to those shows with the music he helped write going straight to the Billboard charts. Since then, he went on to star in many of the biggest TV and film projects from the Golden Globe winning In Treatment, 2013's Hairbrain with Brendan Fraser, 2015's Brilliant Coming Through the Rye, which took home 12 festival wins, and My Friend Dahmer in 2017, based on the acclaimed graphic novel created by John Backdorf about his real-life high school friendship with the American serial killer. Cinematic history was not prepared for what was to come. That same year, he ushered in the return of the world of Jumanji, kicking it off with starring role as Spencer Gilpin in a pair of films, Welcome to the Jungle and The Next Level, 
that have become some of the most well-loved and biggest box office successes around the world. From the past decade, becoming instant family classics, 2018 brought us his unforgettable role as Peter in Ari Aster's masterpiece, Hereditary. His commitment to that performance was instrumental in helping it earn over 44 awards, countless nominations, and a spot amongst the most legendary works in horror and film of all time. In the midst of all that, he gifted us with the most remarkable coming-of-age drama released at the end of 2019. Available on digital and on demand now, The Cat and the Moon, which he produced, wrote, scored, directed, and stars in. It's earned deep praise, including a 100% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, many awards, nominations, and was the official selection of new filmmakers in Los Angeles, proving that he is also one of the most promising and visionary young writers and directors in cinema. We are honored to welcome Mr. Alex Wolf. Wow. Wow, that is by far the best introduction I have ever gotten, and I will not live up to it. <laughs> well deserved. Wow. Hail well King Paymon. Yeah. Hail oh King Paymon. Don't, don't joke about that. No joke about that. <laughs> so, I mean, what's crazy about all this is that most of this has only happened within like the past 10 years or so. Uh, yeah, That's I mean, insane. I've only been alive for basically 10 years <laughs> right? or so. I've basically only been alive then. <laughs> so what fuels that passion? What do you love about the art of storytelling and performance? That is such a great first question. Well, first, I have to say, this is by far the coolest podcast or any interview I've ever done by such a huge margin. I was walking around this house with all these amazing... I wish everybody who is listening to this could see where we are. We're in the most incredible just dungeon of happiness it's it's Aww. it's beautiful that's amazing. it's that's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. and i thought it'd make you guys happy because it's a dungeon yeah I like it's that. like a negative positive <laughs> um dungeon of joy yeah but man i've been you know super lucky and done a lot of really crazy things i, I was um thinking about it the other day that one of the big turning points for me was when i did this film patriot's day where i played um uh the boston bomber i played yeah. jacques arnaev right. um and I remember thinking that, okay, well, th this is a little bit bigger than just some kind of uh, creative fulfillment for me. This is kind of like a, I don't know, that there, there's something else there that you're tapping into some, mm, some sensitive part of people's hearts that actually has nothing to do with you. And so I guess from then on, things for me, ha I've taken things maybe a little more seriously and and made it be the thing that i care about more than anything else in the world and so through that i think came a lot of really open crazy vulnerable work hopefully i get i'm so glad you guys saw cat in the moon i walked in here and it was like on the electronic <laughs> screen it made me so happy oh that's so happy. awesome that's so great so yeah we're, we got a lot of cat in the moon questions coming yeah. up i'm so excited one to first of all just ask, are you a fan of the horror genre at all yourself? I mean, have been obsessive. In really? Wow. Yes. Okay, let's so I'm an obsessive horror fan and I started really watching I was super scared of them as a kid, which I think is related to why I love them so much. Yes. And me and Ari were actually talking about this, how, you know, as a kid they would freak me out so much they would upset me, and so I'd think about them for days and days and days, and I think like it was it was a weird 
I don't know why I was so obsessed with seeing them with my friends when I was like 14, 15, because it gave me it gave me more of a rush than anything else in the world. And we would go and we uh, yeah, we'd get these big, huge sodas and we'd go to the movies and we'd watch the scariest movies. We'd see multiple in one day. Uh, we, it would just it was the best. And it got my friends and I really tight. It was like a, a thing we did in high school. It was like our most favorite thing. So then to be in hereditary was it was very interesting i mean a lot of my friends were like why'd you choose the arty one <laughs> it's like they're like it's actually good that's not what we go to see horror movies for <laughs> do you remember the first one you saw the first horror movie you saw that's a really good question well i was really scared of a lot of weird stuff when i was a kid like stuff scared me i'm trying to think of like oh what lies beneath Okay. Oh, that's a great one. Yep, it's a great one. That is a Mechas movie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's Harrison yeah, it's Ford Mechas and, and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, yeah. And I saw it when I was a kid, and I remember. Yeah, nothing has ever scarred me the way that movie did when I was a kid. I mean, nothing. I remember, I couldn't sleep and all these things, and then I saw it like as an adult, and I was like, eh. <laughs> and it bummed me out because I was like, oh no, <laughs> I was so excited to be scared like that again. Are there any uh, any favorites that you remember along the way in particular? One of my just my favorite movies is Rosemary's Baby. It's the one I always oh, yes. go back to, and um, it's the one that I think it's a perfect movie. And I'm so inspired by Cassavetti's performance in that, and Mia Farrow's performance in that. I just think it's like a masterpiece. That and The Exorcist and American Psycho and all the classics. Um, but but I see all of them. I see all of them. Nice. There's a movie called. Um, uh, I think it, you know people didn't really see it that much, but it's called As Above, So Below. Yes, and I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. You should movie. see it. Yeah, yeah I really great. was affected by that movie. And whatever you know, people say about it, I was truly affected by it. One that I thought about for a couple of days. And there was a movie called Unfriended that I was really affected. Yeah, by. that was really good. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I was really affected by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those Timur Bekmambetov movies. I finally said his name right. Yes, yes. The producer does a lot of those screen movies, right? He also did searching the one about the father yeah. trying to find his daughter on Facebook yeah or I saw that one yeah, yeah. with yeah. um with uh I know I know that guy is it John, well. John, John Cho? Cho yeah John Cho yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right your projects and career after Naked Brothers Band is full of as you said like very thoughtful choices in terms of the types of performances and material that you associated yourself with and they're all really impactful and very memorable including the subject Thank matter you. like you got things like james sat was coming through the rye about two young people on a quest to find jd salinger and that actually had stefania who's in yes, the yes, Moon, who's yeah, yeah. insane she was also in krampus by the way yes, yes. yes. Yeah, she's great a underrated great great horror movie a great one yeah krampus. no it's amazing what is the pulse that informs those decisions for you that's a good question i think a lot of it is luck a lot of it is um what has come my way you know I, I think it's I don't really think about it and I can't look at uh, things in terms of careers I don't look at other people's careers quote unquote as careers I kind of look at them as for their individual projects like if someone does a really bad movie I don't really judge, judge that them, person yeah. yeah and I don't even see them as that I kind of let people's uh, figure themselves out I like watching people f get better and um, figure things out through movies so I've just tried to allow myself to do that and um, get be get better and I think if there's some sensibility that i like of like these more 70s intense dark i mean i i feel like i've done a number of super dark movies if there's any sensibility of that it, it's 
probably just because of what I like and so what I carry around. And people just think I'm like super fucked up. <laughs> throw me in the ring. I'm like, all right. But then, I, you know, I've done Jumanji and stuff and that was super appealing to me and super exciting and I love being funny too. And so yeah, just well, trying let's, to do all this stuff. Let's yeah. talk about Jumanji. So 2017, you get, you know, pulled into this blockbuster action franchise, basically. Jake Kasdan, you know. How did you find out about that project and talk about getting involved in that? Yeah, well, I, uh, okay, those lights just did a little flicker yeah. thing and I'm <laughs> pretty sure. in the house. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you, this shit happens. Be a bunch of naked guys outside. <laughs> a bunch of naked guys outside and not in a fun way. No. Uh, <laughs> um what was what was your question? Oh, it was about Jumanji. Yeah, Jumanji. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just I wanted to put the Jew in Jumanji. Uh, I'm, <laughs> and that was my main thing. Um, uh, uh, my publicist is eyeing me with really cruel, angry, anxiety eyes. I mean, listen, I love the original, and I just auditioned, and I just found it to be really funny. I just thought the concept of it was so funny, going in these bodies of, and everybody's always said that I look like. The rock since I was a kid, so just kidding. <laughs> Wait, you look like a rock? No, oh, the rock. The I was rock. kidding. Okay. No, I don't. But I, I did. Uh, I found that idea just so funny, and um, yeah, now I'm like so lucky to be a part of it. It's crazy. It feels like we we're all kind of like, yeah, let's get on this ship. I don't really know, and then the ship just went off, and you know, we're just on it, and we're like, yay, we're on the ship. It was a good. It was a good ship to get on. Yeah, it certainly wow. was. Yeah. What are some of those challenges that? Are as an actor in a film where you appear, you know, primarily as in prologue and epilogue scenes for the most part, but yet the character you create and define carries on in another actor. Yeah, how is that illusion achieved? I know, right? It's a hat <laughs> trick. I mean, the first one with the challenge was that none of us really knew if it was going to work. Like, I sure. think because I think we were like, "Why are like?" I think there was a moment. I don't. I don't know if Jake felt this, but I think there was a moment like halfway through where we were like, "Are we making a mistake? <laughs> Should we not be doing this movie?" Um, people like love the first one. I don't know why we're doing this. And I remember like they were burnt out and exhausted after shooting like all the stuff, and, they, and then they got to the kids part at the end of the movie, and we were. I was kind of like, "Should we even be?" here like you, you don't care let's just let's just show the rock stuff but it was it ended up being like so amazing and it ended up being like a story of four kids and um and how they come together and the other cast was kind of a way of telling that story and i think that's what we figured out it wasn't just like oh you know a bunch of big great actors you know throw them in this movie it was like uh four kids figuring out how to be themselves and when i think when jake kind of tapped into that it really the movie really worked but the way that we kind of developed spencer was i went to hawaii and hung out with the rock and um dj is what you call him and we hung out like for an entire day just he and i and figured out all these different cool um things to do like him running his hands through his head like uh being like where's my hair you know all these little <laughs> fun things and he gets so excited he's like yes he's like yeah do that he's like yeah i'll check that and then i said i was like you know the character almost reminds me a little of you know he's almost like ordinary people he's always on edge he goes sick reference that's a sick reference like, jake write that down that's a sick reference he's like that's awesome and then i remember i was like saying something and i was doing this with my hands i was like i was like something with my hands he's like and that is what i'm gonna do in the movie that's great look at what he's doing with his hands jake it's great 
great. All of that is great. <laughs> really exciting. Really exciting. Sick reference. Really exciting. That's great. <laughs> really exciting. So what was it like to yeah. s- then step back really exciting. <laughs> into that really exciting role a few years later and reacquainting yourself with Spencer, who was at a much different space yeah. emotionally. He was kind of wrecked at the beginning. Yeah. It was really hard, actually. It's weird. It was one of the ones where I, on day one, I'm like, I got this. I already did this movie. And I'll just, you know, he's a little sadder, whatever. And then I realized on day one, I was like, wow, this is kind of interesting to pick up where you left off. And I, and it, it was kind of hard and, and sad. And it was so ballsy of Jake to, to do the exact opposite of a cash grab. He kind of went the opposite way. And I think he said, I'm not going to make this movie unless we make it to be what would actually happen if they developed over a couple of years. And we're really going to make this Spencer's story about, you know, him being really sad and depressed and having a hard time in college, which is really what kids go through. But I think most people's impulse would just be to make him goofy and wacky and do a bunch of, and he really wasn't, uh, he wasn't pushing for that. He, I don't know. I thought it was, I, I liked the newest one the best. Your character is a hero on our kids' schoolyard. Like, really? Yeah. I'm serious. They are, were so excited that you were coming today. No like, way. I took them out of school early because they no were like, way. oh my God, Spencer Gilpin's coming to our house. And then they told all their friends and then really? they wanted to leave school early. And I didn't know if anybody cared about it. No. I thought everyone was just like, would come into the theater late and just wait for The Rock to come on screen. That's what I always picture is that no one's in the theater during my parts. Well, I think it's because... And my you know, mom's watching. The, the young the young version of Spencer is something that all the kids relate to yeah. right? so much. Yeah, right? I think so. I hope so. And especially this new one, I think a lot of, especially like kids from like 13 to 19 yeah. will be just like, whoa, I haven't seen that in a big blockbuster movie. Just a kid kind of dealing with feeling lost and, um, you know, alienated from his girlfriend and something we've been through. I've certainly been through. I hope they like it. I love your kids, by the way. They are so funny and so nice. And one of them, I don't know a word he said. (laughs) Not one. And I had a full conversation with him. I didn't need, I didn't, yeah, what was it? What's his name? Thayer. Yeah, Thayer. I love it. I don't understand a word he's saying, but we have such a good, but I communicate with him the best of any of them. Like he was like, oh, and you're, and I'm like, but if you know what you do, I, and I was like, yeah, that's right. And he's like, right? And then I started playing piano and he very politely, not so politely, just went and turned the volume off. And I was like, very smart. Smart move, smart kid. Very smart. Oh, you were so Love awesome it. with them. That's They're the awesome. Best. That's great. They are the best. <laughs> well, let's get into let's get into hereditary. Lauren, you want to kick off a hereditary question as you love that film? Oh my gosh. I I love that film so much. It is <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There it is. <laughs> it is one of my favorites. What I don't understand is that first of all, it just bothers me that it was not nominated at the Oscars. Yes. And I think that horror is really misrepresented. Mm. And I mean you deserved an Oscar, yes. Tony Collette. Like yes. the whole cast was amazing. Like, what are your thoughts about horror and the Academy? And everybody was pissed that it wasn't nominated. <laughs> I think that a ton of movies that are really awesome don't get nominated, and a ton of movies that are awesome do get nominated. 
I think it's just random. I think it's just not a big deal. I mean, it, it wouldn't have changed the course of the movie if it had gotten nominated. You know, uh, so a woman came up to me two days ago, um, actually at another uh, at Nicolas Cage's premiere, actually, which we'll get into my my very tight friendship with Nick Cage, which oh, has cool. gotten really because his movie Color Out of Space, yes. which I think you guys so love, it's really yes. great. It's really great, and like yeah. one of his most inspired performances. But I was there, and a woman came up to me and said, "You know, you really helped me get through my mom's dementia." She was like, "It was actually really similar watching her lose her mind, and Hereditary really helped me." I'm like, "Well, listen, if it had gotten." nomination or an Oscar where it wouldn't have changed like people's being affected by it. But yeah, I, I hear that. I, un- I understand that at some point, but the truth is like, we're in such a different place with horror than we were five or 10 years ago where, I, you know, people were embarrassed to say, to be honest, when I first got hereditary, I would say it's a horror movie, but it's not really a horror movie. It's like a, you know, kind of a psychological drama that, <laughs> you know, and now I'm like, yeah, it's a horror movie. That's yeah. right. It's yeah. the horror movie. I love horror movie. Horror is like kind of at a, amazing uh we're a bit of a renaissance of horror so i feel like that's enough and i think maybe eventually the academy will catch on but you know comedy doesn't ever get nominated academy awards it's just you gotta have like a certain kind of uh movie to get nominated and that's just kind of what it is do you know Um, if it was actually submitted for the awards because i I keep hearing that like it doesn't matter how good the movie is if it's not submitted i think ari me tony and millie we all had individual envelopes and we went to all the academy voters okay. doors and we just started sliding envelopes under the doors and we then we camped out and we slept outside the rooms and we would say please 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 nominate us come on we had a really hard time please please come on no listen when we were making this movie I remember there was a moment where Ari and I um, I think we were doing the seance scene and I'm sobbing oh, and, and and I'm like, what are we even doing? And he's like, I don't know. Which is like, what the hell are we making? So the fact that it actually like worked and people liked it, like, and that a lot of people saw it is, yeah. I mean, that mo- there's nothing. It's the best case scenario, hereditary for for me and for Tony and everybody. It's best case scenario. So anything else would have just been probably um, gross. Like any any other type of praise. Like Martin Scorsese said, it was like you know, it's just it's ridiculous, and and I just feel so lucky and so grateful, but. Yeah, I should have gotten a fucking Oscar. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes. Kidding, Jesus, of course. So for your, Kidding. Uh, for your uh, specific character, Peter. I'm just glad I didn't get a Razzie. Right? That's all I just don't want is a Razzie. I don't think Anything you can else. ever get right. one. Oh, there's no way. Don't no no jinx way. me like that. No, I promise. Now I'm going to try and go get one. No. <laughs> so, so for your character, Peter, you actually did something really unique. You actually went method for this character. So I want oh to boy. talk about that. <laughs> Man, you did some pretty crazy things to to get into those. What did I do? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> what did I do? I don't know what I don't know what the people um I mean, I'm always like wary of it because it sounds a little like self serious or something. I think I think I think what I did on the movie was I tried to um I just tried to stay in that thing, you know, stay in that mood, that vibe the whole time just because it was really hard to get that um, manic and get to that level of just deep poison inside of me. So it was a little alarming. I I just kept getting worried that I was going to not be able to get back there if I totally lost it completely. But, you know, I would still like talk to people and, um, you know, but but yeah, it definitely was the most intense uh, up until then. It was the most intense I'd ever, you know, gone for something and just thought, 
I'm just going to give myself completely, uh, completely to this. So then I feel like if I fail, I at least failed on my own terms, you know, and didn't, yeah. didn't half ass it. And so at least I can walk away from that movie feeling like I definitely didn't give just a piece. I feel like I gave everything I could and yeah. you know, that's all you can do. I think there's a couple scenes, uh, in particular, there's a scene post a car accident or you're just sitting in the car for like five minutes. I appreciate you, know. you saying car accident for the people who haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler. No, that's like not a, that's a good way of saying it. I not too much yeah, of a spoiler. You know, I don't want to say what happens. You know? but, <laughs> good, good. Uh, the scene where you're sitting in the car and it's like, it seems like five minutes go by and, yeah. and it's like the camera's on you and, and you're debating whether you should look in the rear view mirror or not. Man, that, that was a really tense scene. Like what we, how did you conjure up that performance for, for that moment? You know, so long ago, I don't really exactly remember. I think that the best stuff in, uh, so far in my career has been stuff that I don't really remember what happened. I kind of just go for it, and I don't, um, I don't think, oh, in this take, I did this, and this take, I did this. If more, you walk out and go like, I don't know what the hell I did. You know, I don't know if that was terrible. I don't know what that was, but, that, uh, you know, I just kind of went there. I think it was just a... Um, a certain place in myself, maybe I'd never gone and I just let it come out. This one actor said that acting is sort of counterintuitive because it's like, if you sit on a heater and it starts to burn you, um, you want to jump up. And, and I've said before that like doing hereditary, it was a lot of just like sitting on the heater and letting it burn a little bit. And I think everybody has the capability of doing that. I think most people, could do that performance. It's just uh, about letting yourself be that ugly and letting it be that gross and um, traumatic, you know? How much of those moments were on the page and how much of it did Ari kind of let you play with that freedom in between the lines to emotionally react? That movie is nothing without me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 it's, it's all there. Like, Ari wrote a masterpiece and I was kind of, um, it, like, it was just translating his amazing vision. But... The thing about Ari that's almost mystical and almost annoyingly amazing about him and genius is that he's somehow so meticulous about these camera moves and he's so, I mean, his shots are, I think, something of a revelation, all of them, especially in that movie, but he's so open to what the actors want to do. Like, he never would give me a direction, quote unquote. He'd kind of let me do it and he'd craft the camera to be around me like there's a scene the panic attack scene under the bleachers which for me is one of the most um my favorite scenes in the movie of mine he modeled it to all be one shot so i wouldn't have to do that many takes so i could really go there and just leave it and we did like three takes and the same thing with the desk scene when i fly back and i think he's a genius at making uh, things both perfect for the actor and gives him a, like a playground to play on and at the same time makes it really just exhilarating to watch like because his camera work is just so specific and just genius he's just really a genius he really is and uh yeah it's just not debatable he's he's a genius guy and that was like his first feature his first feature film. yeah so and you were saying like there was there were times on set where everyone was still he was still like oh shit is this gonna work yeah oh, there was yeah. still that what? oh yeah that's crazy I remember I remember he was gonna hate me saying this but it was a really good it was one day 
I had, um, we just had like a, it was early on and we had a day where we were both, um, sorry, this is like bringing up a lot. I haven't talked about this in a while, <laughs> but, um, it, it was like, it was one day where we were just both not feeling it. We were together though. We were always together. If things were not working out, we were, it was not working out together. It was us <laughs> looking at each other like, hmm. Um, and I remember there was one day when he's sitting there and I was like, Hey, maybe that shot will be cool. He goes, yeah, or I'm a fucking hack. Oh. And I remember sitting there and it's like day four. And I was like, I love this guy. I was like, we're going to get along so well. Because he said that and I started smiling. He started smiling. From then on, I remember it was just, I was like, this is my guy. Whatever he says, I'm going to follow to the brink of the cliff. But I just remember him saying that. Yeah, or I'm just fucking hack. And I was like, you're so not a hack that you saying that makes me really excited. Right? That makes him really cool. That's yeah. so, so oh, the best. How was that, that classroom scene even filmed? When you're so mad, like know. was that done with prosthetics on your face? Like no, no, no. So, so I mean, that's one thing I like to brag about is there. Were, there was uh, my eye was glued back, and nothing else. So what I did was I I dislocated my jaw boxing a couple years ago, and. I re-dislocated it oh, um, in the classroom, which I can push it to the far left, and I like cracked it. Because uh. he <gasps> said, because he, he was like, he's like, can you do anything with your face that makes it look? And I was like, actually, I can. And he watched, and he was like, that you should do that. But you know what? Like Ari was really he he would demonstrate what he wanted me to do with my body. It was actually cool in rehearsal, and he would. He, you know, he would do this flailing thing that looked kind of ridiculous, and I'm like, oh wow, I can really go for this. I don't have to make it look graceful. I don't have to fit into a box. And so, when we did that scene, I held my breath for like 50 seconds, and I would say before action, like just when I, you start seeing me go there, at like 50 seconds, then let's start. So I could hold my breath, and I went kind of blue and purple, and um, just looking at my dress. So that was a physically taxing day, and genuinely, I just completely stopped paying attention to the shots. I just went for it every single time, and I let him do it was just he it was like it was the kind of working relationship that i i just don't know if i'll ever get again I, you know it was just magical it was a magical thing both of us really wanting to prove ourselves and i don't know if we'll ever get that opportunity again we're both just on the uh, just it was so awesome and really hard but he and i i've never trusted somebody the way i trusted him and i and i don't think he's trusted anybody the way he trusted me like we had this amazing thing because i was kind of playing him in the movie it's so, like wow. lightning in a bottle, though that movie, right? Yeah. It's yeah, everything just matched up, so. and it's become it's it's like a, it's a classic, right? It's the Rosemary's Baby of yeah. our yeah. generation, yeah. I would say for sure. And one of those mm. uh, memorable scenes, the dinner scene with you and Tony Collette, oh, Gabriel God, Byrne. Yeah. That's hard to watch, man. I, yeah, there's just so much going on, you know. I mean, but I mean, how I mean, how did that come about? I mean, was that like still his specific direction? Was it on paper exactly the way it was? I mean, it was on paper, but I remember that he gave us zero direction he just came up to me and said hey we're doing two cameras take your time and i think he just said two cameras take your time and i think that was all he said and then he walked away and then it was awesome and i put my headphones in and then we started and i just remember the silence before the scene it was crazy the whole crew was just silent and they just said action and it was really exciting that was that was a pretty exciting thing did you keep awesome. anything 
from the production? No, they didn't let me keep shit. <laughs> that Welcome. Sucks. Being an actor, they don't let you keep That's shit. That's what I hear. Honestly, yeah. I'm seeing you do all this stuff, and I felt for Robert Pattinson. Yeah. That you have his thing. I'm like, what the fuck? You didn't get to keep it? It's crazy. You stole it's in it from the bathroom. Him. Crazy. And you put it in the bathroom. Exactly right. Come on. <laughs> Is there any truth? Like, I'd heard that Ari would do stuff like send you and Charlie on just random days to get lost in yeah. the city where you were filming and to create help create that tension was that was there truth to that just completely true yeah (laughs) i mean it was awesome i i love that stuff so i I have to say the most yeah i mean ari did stuff that you dream of and you hear about in the 70s directors doing you know he's not a human or for for it was like what ari was able to do with his first feature with getting you know a really decent budget um and having a24 and all those things and being so brave and letting us uh he just lo- and i think he loves actors that's my feeling is he loved us like it didn't feel like we were pawns part of his vision it felt like he loves actors and he strikes the perfect combination so yeah he had us me um millie shapiro and uh, i we would go on these days of we'd spend five hours going to get food and he would tell her you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. In fact, you just have to do what Charlie would do. So as Charlie, she was impossible to go get lunch with. Oh no! I would have to grab her hand across the street. She would be uncomfortable with it. We wouldn't speak for like four hours. So we'd sit there, we wouldn't speak. And then I would like, you know, just be looking at her and I'd be, and I started to feel these feelings of like, Oh, I'm so embarrassed to be here with her right now being so quiet. And the waiter would be like, what do you want? She wouldn't say anything. I'm like, okay, what do you, do you want this? Do you want the dinner? And I remember that feeling of the, in my stomach, it really helped my performance because that's how he feels with her all the time. And those little things that um, a lot of people would think was wasting time informed that movie is all because of these cool little things that Ari was doing. Yeah. That's or amazing. Screening for peanuts, right? You're like, make sure no peanuts, no nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. God, I couldn't get her to order anything. Oh my god, I'm just thinking. I went to White Castle and she just wouldn't do anything because she really fell into it. She fell into being someone who can't eat this and can't eat that. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I just want a burger and I want you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's so let's good. go into my friend Dahmer a little bit, which you played. John Bacter, the real life best friend. What yeah. was it like visiting that world and delving into that horrifying story? Actually, really fun. Yeah. I mean, that one was really fun because it was. Uh, uh, we kind of had to be on the outside of the story. You know, he, uh, you know, Ross was Jeffrey Dahmer. We were not. We were a bunch of kids in high school in the seventies. And part of what made that movie work is the tight knit group between Tommy Nelson, who's also in this. I take all the people I work with and I put them in my movies. Good idea. Um, Tommy Nelson is in it and uh, Harry Holzer, who's a great actor. The three of us got so tight and it became a little bit of this trio and we'd hang a little bit with Ross but Ross kind of isolated himself and we had to think of him not as Jeffrey Dahmer and almost, almost, we did all our research and then we got to set we had to just see him as another kind of weird kid or, you know, we just couldn't play that he was going to be a serial killer. We would say something like, he's a Matt Jeffries, you know, he could be anybody. He's, he's uh, another name, you know, it doesn't matter. He's not Jeffrey Dahmer yet. He's just your friend. And so I think that movie was just a lot of hanging out, improvising and Mark Myers. So I just did another movie that's coming out in March um, with directed that. And he gave us a lot of freedom too. And that was very fun. Now they filmed it 
in Ohio, at, like around his actual home, maybe no, inside, inside the actual, his home. It was his actual. Yeah, we filmed in his house. Holy shit! It was fucked. God, <laughs> it was oh, crazy. It, it, we filmed, yeah, in his actual house. It was insane. Did anything Absolutely creepy insane. happen there? Yes. Yeah. Ooh, tell me. Yeah, big. T- hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm, so you guys haven't, I, I feel like I've told the story. You guys haven't heard the story. No, 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 no. It's not going to bore you guys? No. It's no. a bit of a story. You ready? It's Go a real it. thing that happened. Go for it. Okay, so publicist grinds her teeth. <laughs> Call, calls, <laughs> calls, calls every all the news outlets. Um, no, uh, okay. So one day we do that scene in the car at the end, you know. Uh, and and Ross and I are really good friends now. But during the movie, you know, we kept our space from each other. And we're doing that scene, and there were these weird little things happening. I, I, I you, you know, you just feel energy, whether you believe in like energy and all that stuff. You can feel it when you're in that house. There's grief. And there's something There's something bad about it When you're staying there There's something that just feels A little sickening So we're sitting in the driveway And we're doing this scene And the first weird thing Is that it fogs up But the, but it's not cold It's it's really weird It's like it feels very isolated And the fog looks white It doesn't even look like fog And we're like That's weird And we're not talking to each other He's saying little things Like that are He says now He like doesn't even remember Like little things That were coming out of his mouth Just well, if you knew it, you better. And I'm like, what? And he's like, nothing. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, getting really heated. It's this, you know, the it, like some rage starts to build up just towards him. And I'm thinking about, and I remember then, you know, the scene's finished. We get out of the car and we both feel like we're going to throw up. Like, really? And I go and I'm feeling really, really sick and really angry and I don't want to even look at Ross. And, you know, all of this could be seen as, oh, mumbo-jumbo, actor mumbo-jumbo, but there comes a point when it's real life, you know, yeah. that someone murdered these people and it, and so we're there and I like feel like I'm gonna throw up and um, I don't want to go inside the house so I just I'm like I'm gonna go pee in the woods and, and there's like woods in his house like outside of course because it's creepy so I go and I'm like peeing in the woods I'm there with the, the PA there and I'm fuming I just feel really upset by the whole thing and I said you know what I've been feeling kind of bad for him as a kid and all these things but you know what fuck Jeffrey Dahmer fuck Jeffrey Dahmer and I swear to God all the lights in the house all the lights in the generator and all the car lights for about a block go out bah! we hear everything go out and it's like and everything goes out and the whole crew is packing up and they're kind of laughing. A whole crew goes, starts whispering like that. And everybody gets so scared and we're all sitting there and we just hear everybody going, oh God, I don't know what happened. Do you know what happened? They're like, well, no. How did the generator go out? How did the porta potty lights go out and the house lights go out? Like, how did everything go out all at once? And I'm sitting there completely responsible. So I'm sitting there and I'm shivering and the PA behind me, he's like smoking a cigarette. He's like, you better apologize. <laughs> <laughs> like that smoking a cigarette. And I'm there and I'm like, 
okay. Uh, and I don't really know what to say, so I just like limp on out of there. I'm like, I'm gonna get out of here. And I'm like, you know, I, I get out of there. I'm feeling awful. I go home. I'm sorry, the story is still going on, but I promise no, it gets no, weirder. No. <laughs> we go to a hotel that is not too far from it. The, all the boys can attest to this all happening. That night, we're all feeling awful, sick, like really nauseous. And, and I don't even believe in this ghost stuff. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah, I said, I said, fuck Jeffrey Dahmer inside. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, but then we're all there. We're staying and we all are scared for some reason. We don't know why. And we all decide to sleep in the same room because we're just feeling this bad energy. We all go there. The creepiest thing of all time is all night we're being woken up by our bed shaking like this like <gasps> like vibrating up and down and uh, you can ask the other boy it's there it's inexplicable we don't know what was happening and each one of us kept darting up and you know of course it could be like the salem witch trials or something like, it could be mass hysteria in our room of us all thinking something's happening it doesn't matter it's still scary so we're all popping up and screaming like what's happening what's that is your bed yeah i'm like you're bed. i'll just try to go to sleep because like two of us on a cot two of us or whatever and think i mean i mean that like we're flying out of bed like I, it was the creepiest thing ever that almost so traumatizing we all haven't really talked about it and then in the morning all of us are exhausted going downstairs feeling really awful and we're like the last night was really rough and we're like yeah that was really really terrible so i go in the morning and i walk to jeffrey Nomer's house by myself because it's like a couple blocks from the hotel and i walk there and i just say listen man i'm sorry you know, I, I, this, you're a complicated person and, and I, there's a lot of things I feel bad about and I'm sorry for saying that. And, uh, suddenly, yeah, the feeling just evaporated and I didn't feel on edge anymore and I came back and suddenly we were all laughing about it. So I know that's a long winded story, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really give any answers. It just kind of asks a lot of really weird questions. That was a great That's story. Fascinating. That's was it? Fascinating. Yeah, it really was. was it way too long with No, no, it was a great. Lot of details. That's crazy. No, it's a movie in itself. The, yeah. It's a movie behind the movie, so man. So creepy. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, now he lives in my house. Jeff right. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk let's talk about the cat in the moon. Yes. Yes. Fucking amazing, yes. by the way. Thank you, man. Yeah. Breathtaking. So yeah. Thank you. It <sighs> what to start. It's really interesting the world you created for this because it's so big being, I mean, it's got all the vibes of New York yeah. surrounded you, by people. It's really alive, but you maintain this intimacy between this, you know, relatively small group of characters. What was the alchemy of capturing that energy of New York, but the intimacy that you achieved with it? Man, I've been promoting this movie for like a year and that's probably the best question I've gotten about it. That, that's a really great question. Thank you. Well, I think it was just staying super small and super honest and um, not worrying about capturing New York at all and just knowing that I think a lot of the problems uh, with people making movies in New York is they think they have to say, well, yeah, only in New York and just make it too much of a thing where when you're in New York, it's already this loud, rambunctious character in your movie that yeah. you got to trust if you're filming people running around New York and going in a market and you got to let it speak to you. And I think that's how I try to approach it with the whole movie and with the rest of the cast is I tried to not like speak to the movie. I kind of let, try to let the movie speak to me a little bit, which sounds a little mumbo jumbo or whatever. But when you're making a movie, 
it actually, I think you feel something click uh, when you start letting things speak to you. Like, okay, I showed up and this was supposed to be on a train. There was a scene. I was supposed to be on a subway. Uh, oh, I was supposed to do this and did it. But if you just go, no, but look at this street. It's beautiful. This street that we got is really beautiful. And why not just embrace it rather than trying to, you know, fake it and uh, uh, make it like a make it like how I envisioned in my mind. Let's embrace that homeless guy who was walking there and walked in front of the camera. It's a great thing. Like, I remember there's all these horns that kept going and I went, okay, let's just let the horns be. So that first shot in the movie, there's like a really loud horn and it kind of becomes a nice setup to the movie. And I remember my mom singing it going, was that fake? Do you put that in later? I'm like, no, that was a loud ass cab driver. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, that stuff is great. How long did it take for you to write the script? Well, um, I remember around the Vietnam War is when I started writing it. <laughs> I think is when the first drafts developed. Um, <laughs> it took a long... I mean, I started writing when I was 15. I wrote it to avoid studying for finals because I didn't want to study for finals. Oh my God. So I wrote it as a little side project. And the first draft was trash and garbage, but it had kernels of, of um, inspiration, you know, kernels of an inspired truth. And so... I just had to kind of spend five or six years uh, cultivating that and, and developing it into something that people actually want to see. And I think it's at least what I would want to see. You know, if I, uh, there's a lot of things about teenagers and kids or whatever, but I haven't seen that many things that feels like it really takes us seriously and that it doesn't make us look like horrible, cynical automatons, but it also doesn't <laughs> make us look cutesy with, you know, proms and all that bullshit. I think it's like just kind of giving you who they are and you can judge them if you want, but this is who they are, good and bad and warts and all. And I just, that, that was my main goal. And I, so the characters in the movie and uh, some of these scenes, are they based on personal experiences you experienced yourself or, um, no, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to say no, because a lot of them are not great experiences. But yeah, a lot of it's real. A lot of it's not. But really more the, the color of the movie, the, the spirit of the movie is so from my insights and so my sensibility that a lot of details are muffed and, and changed and um, smushed together and composites of people. But for the most part, it's uh, it's really true to what my experience was in high school. And uh, yeah. I was thinking more along uh, the lines of the parent story. Your your parents in particular was like those somebody's parents you knew, or just that's just a yeah. That was that was more you know that's more creative license. I okay. think um, you know my parents are like great and not addicts, um, right. but I think the feeling of of worshiping your dad and um, and not seeing him as a person and more and and the heartbreak of accepting your parents as actual human beings is is something that that haunts me and haunts I think a lot of people at that age especially. So that was super autobiographical. But no, they're both, neither of them are horrible. And in this movie, they kind of are. But there was, a, there was a kid in high school who had this sort of experience. And so I w Nick is sort of a composite of me. And this kid in high school is my really good friend and had a really hard time. And all the characters are kind of pieces of me a little bit. And, and I really do have a best friend named Seamus. I really do. I really was in love with a girl named Eliza. There are a lot of things oh, that nice. are similar. And they're all going to kill me after they <laughs> hear this podcast. Dude, Mike, <laughs> Mike Epps. Mike How amazing is oh, he? Oh, my God. He was so great. great. Yeah, he's a great like father figure to you in this movie. Yeah, I think and, so, too. Uh, I think uh, one, one of my favorite scenes is that post-Prozac scene. With oh, yes, wow. yeah. after, the ta after the taxi cab yeah, ride. That you, is insane. Prozac is going to hunt you down and murder yeah, exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> the Prozac scene. <laughs> um, thank you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that scene, and Mike is incredible in that scene. Yeah, he is. 
He's amazing. Well, that's the thing about Mike is he's like, um, he's almost like a kid in that a lot of kids, you put them in front of the camera, they're the opposite of self-conscious. You know, he's just, he's an open vessel. I mean, you tell him to do anything and he can do it. You know, he's almost wild. Like sometimes I wouldn't even care if he was saying lines in the script. I didn't care. One time I remember he called me a different name, I think, because he was working through something personally. And I remember it was only frustrating because I had to cut around and go to a close-up of me and then back to him because he was using, but he was so there that he's probably the most immediate there actor in the moment actor I've ever worked with. He's just like, nothing is pre-planned or overly choreographed. He's just, I mean, he's there. Like, no matter, and I think it's partially because he's an amazing comedian, and comedians have to constantly be on their toes. It's true, right? You know, he grew up in a scene where, like, I know comedians were, like, thrown off the stage physically if they weren't funny and weren't there, and so I think he, as a dramatic actor, is right, I mean, he's just tears streaming down every take, no matter what. It's just, he's like, he's he's amazing, Um, and yeah. He's just amazing. I remember when Lauren and I watched it, it was half the time looking at each other going, is this, is this documentary? Yeah. Oh, that's like awesome. you fall, you fall into it so hard that yeah. you really believe that. What are some of the secrets as, as, as far as directing these, these actors and God, even choosing the, the talented cast that you choose to create that, that magic trick on us. Wow. It, it lets us in that world thinking that it's real. Well, that's the best compliment I could ever get that it's like a documentary because that was my main thing is I find um, being around young people really, really fascinating and exciting just around them not doing anything interesting. There's a lot of emotional dynamics that are going on. So I think one of the things that the problem with that and the thing that I got into when my movie was three and a half hours, which it was. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And listen, you make your first movie, you're you become like a crazy person. You you like justify in your head a three and a half hour movie you just go well you know fuck it anybody who doesn't like it three and a half hours then don't see my movie yeah. and then eventually you go no it could be better and trim and trim and trim but you know and then and then you have an actual movie but th- the problem with that three and a half hour cut was that there, the stakes were confusing you know it was figuring out you can't just make a documentary because the stakes feel a little low and, and trying to not make a meandering, um, just a mumblecore movie. Cause anybody can do that. I think the secret was one, I've, the, I, I have the greatest cast. I got super lucky with this cast. They're all my friends. And I think yeah. we all felt really comfortable. One, you know, that was the main thing. I'm a peer. I'm a young person. I'm acting with them. So there was no real defenses up. Like if we mess up and we go down, we all go down together. Yeah. We're all in all these shots together. I'm acting in it. Uh, there's, no real rules you know okay go grab a melon and throw it and that's go grab the flowers and fight with it go pay that guy and don't shoot his face so we don't get sued you know like it was just a lot of that stuff but the but what you have to do then i think a lot in editing but also having it in your mind is under all that what's going on with your protagonist um emotionally and in a lot of those scenes what moves me and what i like is that it's the first time we start to feel him be included in this group and we get the feeling maybe he hasn't done that very much, but he always feels a little on the outside. And I had to constantly be aware of that as an actor, that there's this anxiety running under that he doesn't, he has a lot more going on than these kids emotionally. And so I think one of the keys is that if you're going to make it feel documentary and make it feel loose, make sure that there's a through line and emotional anxiety or emotional pulse for your lead character. So then all that stuff can really feel exciting to watch because you're like, Oh yeah, that's great. They're playing with a melon, but like what's going on with Nick? Why does he feel like he's not totally playing along? Like, and, 
I don't know. I, the most fun part for me making the movie was always having this fun, 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 and then going to the edge, and you know, then they get in a fight, or then they get the gun put in the mouth, yeah. and then you know, it was it was going fun, 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 fun. Oh no, that's dangerous. Okay, let's turn and go the other way. Oh my god, no, that's danger, and 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 playing along that line, and that and that to me is what my favorite movies do, like um, you know, Woman Under the Influence or Taxi Driver. Or, you know, a lot of these, like the Darden brothers, are the greatest at that. Doing like two days, one night, and and making these movies that. Uh, on paper don't feel that high stakes but uh, the way they navigate their lead characters in these circumstances is super high stakes and and i guess that was i guess that's what i had to do and and, and i'm constantly figuring out what's going on underneath the scene um but making sure that on top of the scene is a lot of fun and looseness but underneath it feels high stakes so it's not boring and I, thought, I thought your character and uh Stephane's if that makes character. any sense i don't know if that oh, makes yeah, any yeah, sense. totally yeah, yeah. totally I thought your, your character and Stefania's character, Liza, I thought you guys had great chemistry together. Thank you. Like, I want to see more of you two together. That's you know? awesome. Um, yeah, we've done two movies together now, so we're just, you know, we're figuring yeah. out our third. Yeah. Was that like, <laughs> did you know that going in, that, that was, it wasn't work out that well? He, he, with her, she was one of the people I, she was my rock on the movie for sure. You know, everybody was my rock, but she's one of my best friends in the world. And I just know, I knew she was going to bring it. And I just knew that we love each other so much and care about each other so much. Um, as deep, you know, almost family at this point. I've known her since I was 15 um, or 16. Wow. And, um, you know, I'm 22 now. So we've really uh, developed an amazing relationship and working relationship. So she, she's just amazing. I mean, yeah. it, to act, everybody's going to have great chemistry with Stefania because she's just like an open, like a bright star. The scene between Nick and Cal with the piano and the saxophone. Oh, my God. Beautiful. Thank it's like you. My favorite scene. <laughs> Thank by, you. By the way, you missed it earlier. He was doing it here. I was doing oh. it. I can do it. I can do it on the show whenever you guys yeah, want. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Set up. Yeah. I'll do yeah. It. There's mics inside the piano. Oh, yes. amazing. Yes. Okay. I'll do it. <laughs> uh, the music was amazing. Thank I you. I know you wrote so much of it. Was it in your head prior? Like the melodies? That's a good. I, well, a lot of it was me and my dad. Um, my oh, dad, wow. who was a jazz musician, we wrote the music together. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah. So we. So there. At the end of the movie, there's a version of the that song. There's a version of that. That's my dad, me on Rhodes, my dad on piano, his amazing uh, drummer Victor Jones, and I'm forgetting who was on bass. But we did it basically as like a real jazz. True. Was it how many people were on it? I'm trying to figure. I think it was a quartet, nice. um, and it was really a beautiful, beautiful experience um, doing that. And, and the amazing Alex Foster, who's a great sax player on SNL, um, who's also my godfather, and really Cal is super based on him. And he came in and taught Mike Epps how to play sax, and was on set making sure everything looked real. And um, yeah, we did a lot of it live on the day, and it was just a pretty exciting thing. And Mike became really good. Mike was really good. At sax, he just became huh. a good player at a certain point. It was pretty exciting. There was a really chaotic fight scene in the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about like choreographing that yeah. insanity with a lot of actors in that yeah. scene too? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that was one I prepared pretty hard for, even in the script. So that one, and I remember someone read it and said hey listen that's an interesting fight scene but you say the word punch and kick about 150 times so I remember with a thesaurus going through and being like slugs slaps smacks and like having all these different things but ended up being really useful because there's a difference between a slug a smack 
and uh, I don't know, a bridge back, you know, like <laughs> yeah. there were some crazy little things and figuring all those different things out. So I think it was a lot pre-prepared. You got to be super safe. But I will say I did really punch the kid who was accidentally the uh, frat kid. His name is Paul Skylarman. He's such a nice guy. But I punched him on accident oh, and, yeah. and I really messed up his nose. Oh, no. And um, yeah, and he like almost got knocked out from it. And it's in the movie. And uh, it's because it was one because because what happened is we just miscalculated by like an inch. And when oh, you do yeah. that and I'm just bam. And then the second one, I hit him so hard and you could see it in his face. And we use it in the movie. And then the bathroom fight scene at the end uh-huh. where Skylar Jano hits me. Skylar Gisondo hit me in the face so many times. And I have a dislocated jaw, as you guys now yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So he was just knocking it out of place over. And I just remember directing the scene being like, uh-huh. And he's like, I'm sorry, man. I'm just like, I've never done this before. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Let's just do it again. Oh, my God. Fine, Skylar. Do it again. Just hit me again. Oh, man. But yeah. Yeah, it was very choreographed. It's very hard. It's, it's not easy to do that. Wow. Using PTSD thinking about it. <laughs> so then after this, this film, what's coming up next for you? No, I know you'd mentioned uh, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, we we Wait, did. I have one more oh, yeah. question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, you guys can ask as many. I'm like I, to talk about Cat for me is like talking about your dream or something. All right, you know, it's like okay. so Good. exciting. Okay. Do you have an idea for like a follow up? Like, I want to know what happens to Cat in the Moon Two. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, I think my favorite stories and things have been ones that like live in your mind, and you can kind of wrestle with them and yeah. play with them as they develop. And I think if you go back and watch multiple times the end means something a little different because for me i've you know i've seen it a gajillion times i don't like to watch myself that much but i do get a different feeling from the ending and the ending varies from really yay cathartic you know oh he made his journey to really heart-wrenchingly just uh, painfully punishingly sad and so I think it depends on where you're at in your life and kind of projecting your own feelings of loss and love. And I, and I want to make endings like that for the rest of my life. And if I direct other things, I want to make sure that they are a little ambiguous so people can feel different things at different stages in their life. And that's how I felt about like Catcher in the Rye. It's how I felt about Tender's the Night, the book, and it's how I feel about Taxi Driver's ending, how I feel about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest ending, Blue Valentine, a lot of movies that are really emotionally raw they change as you change and i kind of don't would never want to revisit the world because i think that as you get older and revisit it um the movie changes hopefully yeah what about the poem the actual poem is it really tattooed on your back and do you have <laughs> i have yes yeah, really so the, so the cool thing in the movie is that we ran out of time and so i didn't do an insert of it on my back and so there's this cool moment where she sees it but we don't see it as an audience yeah right and that i'm really proud of that except that it's really just because we forgot really because we ran out of time and we were like okay and i was like i'll pick it up and then i just didn't and then i remember being in the editor room and i was like hey do we have an insert of that and my editor being like Nah, and I'm like, okay. Then I guess we're just not going to show it. Um, but yeah, I do have it on my back. I'll show you right now. Nobody else on the podcast <laughs> will be able to see it, but I'll show you <laughs> on my back. Um, right there. Oh wow! Oh, yeah, That's there it awesome. is. So what is it? Wouldn't about- it be funny if it didn't? And I just was quietly saying, like, being <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, 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 be surprised, <laughs> be excited. So what is it about? What's your history with the poem? Well, I think it's just, it's kind of what the movie's about. You know, it's like like the last line, Middle-ish creeps through the grass, alone, important, and wise, and lifts to the changing moon as changing eyes. There's something just kind of dazzling about the imagery of it, being nighttime and being 
really glowing. Something about the poem is glowing. And I think it's really about changing from uh, being a... Uh, being a teenager to an adult, in my opinion, that's really what it's about. And also, Cat just has a lot of sentimental value for me because my dad's a jazz musician. They say, oh, yeah, those cats. Yeah. Oh, they're the cats. Oh, are the cats coming over? And that's just how he refers to people. And so Cat in the Moon just felt like a very fitting thing. And also, I'm an insomniac, and I wrote this all th- uh, over the course of late nights and writing it late nights in my room where I felt alone and peaceful and i think the uh, the cat in the moon is all about nighttime and moon and and loneliness and growing up and it really it just encapsulated the i don't know the center of it somehow and it wasn't an intellectual decision it was more feeling i just kind of followed the feeling well anybody listening who's a fan of alex's work and hereditary and films like that you've got to see the cat in the moon Thank and you, i guarantee you when you start watching it it's hypnotic you'll you'll be yep. sucked into it in no time and just watching alex's performance in particular and god everybody else in the cast it feels very immersive it feels like these are people you know it feels like a documentary it just feels real and it's a real experience and i, I don't think anyone should be without that experience wow so, yeah, thank you man that's amazing that up We'll end on the future. So you did mention Nicolas Cage. I know there's yeah. a project going on. I love on. how much you're going back to Nick Cage. Right, like, right. So, um, <laughs> Nick Cage. Nick Cage thing. Well, it's, it's hot <laughs> in our minds best. because we just, uh, we had a bunch of people in from Colorado Space oh, over yeah. the past like two days, actually. Yeah, such a so, great movie. Yeah, so we just watched that. Did Nick come in? Nick did not come oh. in, unfortunately. We tried, man. We tried. Well, I can just pretend to be him. Um, hey, it's really great to be here. I just want to say this is such a great podcast <laughs> and I just find it really incredible. <laughs> Um, working with Alex was a really terrific experience. Um, he's wild. He's unpredictable. He's, you know, he's in some ways kind of a genius. So, yeah. you know, that's the bottom line. Did um, you really drive those cars and oh, gone in 60 seconds? I did. Um, I, it was really part of my um, my scope as a performer, and I, I need to honor that. Um, and was driving it for real. I mean, that's what we're doing, right? We're making believe. But no, I'm very excited about The Cat in the Moon, and I, I've really enjoyed it and the only reason I can do this is because he's literally become one of my best friends in the universe and that's not to brag that's to say that we are kindred spirits and we did this movie pig together and yes. uh, we are in you know like every scene together and we're in a car you know basically stuck in a car most of the movie and we got so close you know we just got really um, we fell madly in love with each other's style of working and just um, we have all the same interests we really I remember the first thing we bonded over was Ugetsu this uh, j- amazing Japanese movie and not many people had seen it and we bonded over that and we bonded over our Ingmar Bergman obsessive I'm wearing a Bergman shirt right now oh, <laughs> um, nice. but we're just you know Bergman fanatics and we're talking about Persona we're talking about Cries and Whispers and we're just talking about um, and I just love the way he talks about movies and then we love that movie Burning that Korean film Lee Chang Dong and we were bonding over that and he was just a big hereditary fan and I and Nicolas Cage is my favorite actor Nick Cage um, ever since I, I, Raising Arizona was one of the first movies yeah. I ever saw period and then adaptation was shortly after that, and I went, "That's my favorite. That's amazing. That's what I want to do." Yeah, and You're that's to two me, characters in that movie. Yeah, yeah, two characters who they look the same. <laughs> it's not like he did totally different makeup or anything, but no. somehow they're entirely yep. different scopes of people.
people. And, and one of the Charlie Kaufman, one the, the Donald, idiot brother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just genius. And, and I think, um, I just think, I think he's the, one of the greatest actors that's ever lived, if not the greatest and the most risk taking and brave. And, and he's a beautiful person. And he has been one of the best advocates of cat in the moon. It's like his favorite movie. He's seen it like two or three times. now. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Nice. And he just loves it. And he loves hereditary a lot too. So we've just been really supporting each other work. So everybody also go see color out of space. Cause he is so inspired yeah. and just gives a gorgeous performance. And yeah, there was that picture floating around of you and Manson <laughs> yeah. and cage and Kesha, which is an amazing, <laughs> looks like an amazing night. <laughs> I know, man, it's crazy. We had no idea. I knew I was like on my Instagram and variety. It's like, it's so wild. <laughs> so wild. We were all just hanging. Also like some of the Ramones were there. It was just crazy. Wow. It was a crazy, wow. crazy night. It's Nick, man. You roll with Nick. It's no joke. And Marilyn Manson is the sweetest guy in the world. He's crazy and hilarious and amazing. And Kesha's super sweet too. <laughs> That's They're so funny. So, so we got that movie with the uh, cage coming out. Yeah, what that else one's is coming out? I have, I have then three other movies coming out that Jesus. we're at. Yeah. They were at Toronto, which is cool. I had three movies at Toronto, which is, wow. I think, I think, that's the most someone's had at Toronto. We were trying to ask around. I think three might be the most anyone's ever had. Wow. Um, I want someone to challenge me, though. I feel like Willem <laughs> Dafoe probably has had like nine. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a movie called Human Capital, which comes out in March. Really, really upsetting, but exciting. Uh, I think a beautiful story directed by the same guy, directed my friend Dahmer, Mark Myers, and written by Oren Moverman, the just amazing Oren Moverman who, you know, wrote Love and Mercy. And he's just, you know, genius, the messenger. He's uh, one of the best. And uh, that's me and uh, Leah Schreiber and Marissa Tomei, um, Maya Hawk and uh, and uh, Betty Gabriel. And I'm um, oh, Peter Sarsgaard, obviously. I don't know. Wow. How can I forget Peter Sarsgaard, who's just absolutely amazing in it? And um, yeah, it, it's like a, it's it, it's like blue, white, red. It's a little like Krzysztof Kieślowski, blue, right, blue, white, red. It's like divided into three stories. And um, so that that's a really, uh, really cool movie. Upsetting, but good. Kind of like Crash. Uh, then I did this movie, Bad Education, um, uh, with Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney and Ray Romano and the amazing Geraldine Viswanathan, who is just the best, and she's one of my good friends, too. And that movie's really crazy and funny, and, and uh, Hugh Jackman gives an amazing performance. And we're kind of supporting, uh, I mean, Geraldine, but, but Hugh is just, oh, he's so good. <laughs> he's a sociopath in it, so it's like oh, nothing shit. you've ever seen. Wow, he I is so wait. good. It's a kind of cage-level performance of commitment and cleverness and he just really does a great job and then the one yeah I'm seeing the lights flicker all the <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah welcome <laughs> welcome to my world post hereditary it follows me around <laughs> it's either Dom or payment <laughs> which one is it so, so is it JRP JRP tell me show yourself no no <laughs> Come on, we'll work it out. Here's Oracle. Come on, here's Oracle. Oh my God, it's one of these. So going, going forward, going, now that you've gotten your feet wet in uh, directing your first feature length, and uh, it's it's awesome. Like we said, man, we love. Thank it. you, man. Going forward now, do you see yourself writing or directing a horror movie? Wow, that's a good question. Well, I wrote another script that I'm going to make that is super disturbing, so it kind of is a horror movie. There's just no. I mean, it's not really a horror movie. It's just really kind of disturbing and. Uh, 
I'm just going to break the ice. Nick is involved in it somehow. I think he's producing oh, it. Um, nice. So you guys got the official announcement. I'll probably yes. get in trouble later, but yeah, he's he's going to produce it with me. So um, and he really because uh, he really responded to the script, and we just have similar wow. sensibilities. And um, so yeah, I'm really excited about is that. It like a psychological thriller, or <clears throat> yeah, it's like a psychological drama thriller um, that also Justice Smith uh, is going to be starring in. And uh, yeah, I'm just really really pumped about it. And one of the producers has also produced this movie that's coming out in May, I believe, and I think that's going to get kind of a nice wide release, which is exciting, called Castle in the Ground, and um, that's about a young opioid, it was also a Toronto, about a young opioid epidemic, uh, young kids struggling in the opioid epidemic in Canada, wow. and it's like watching him lose someone important in his life and then he spirals into addiction um and kind of has this unlikely friendship with this older girl played by imogen poots who's just amazing and we have this crazy wild unbelievably upsetting but kind of sweet and pained uh relationship and it's heart-wrenching but i think it's i think it's a good important movie wow so many good things to see dude from you we're so excited man thank you you. i want to come back i really do hell yeah when human capital is coming out hell yeah anytime anytime it's been an absolute pleasure it's so fun well we won't keep you any longer i I said i said this to you before i know you guys are going to keep me in a box right exactly (laughs) they have all these just so people listen this studio has all these like framed things from all these movies and I'm positive they're going to cut me up into little pieces and frame me and say oh it's the guy from Hereditary and they're like that really looks like the guy from Hereditary you're like yeah that's actually him this isn't even a pod I'm not even really recording Hail King Hail King well Alex dude thank you thank so you much so for much. taking the time man oh, everyone man. go grab The Cat in the Moon it's on digital now and yes. of course see Jumanji the next level if you haven't seen it and Hereditary God, yeah, go, go get that you know, you're crazy. If you haven't seen that, let's we're gonna fight. What the hell, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank, Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks, guys. That was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 100. Special thanks to our guest Alex Wolf. You can follow Alex on Instagram at Alex Wolf Official. That's with two F's and at Nat and Alex on Twitter for him and his brother. Be sure to check out Alex's remarkable directorial debut, The Cat in the Moon, on digital now. A very special thanks to you listening right now for all of your support for sharing the episode for writing reviews on Apple Podcasts and for choosing to share your time with us. It means everything as we sincerely love doing this so much and it would simply not exist without you. Here's to many more episodes to come. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Alex is going to play us out with his original composition from his film The Cat in the Moon live in the Speakeasy studio now. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams.
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.